Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the Week Zero Recap and Week One Thursday Preview. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. After that Saturday, college football is back. It's back. I think Cole McDonald just threw an interception in my hotel room. But got the win. Voicemails are back. You know, it was only two games, so we don't have uh, a lot of them. But for those unfamiliar... You know, we have a voicemail number. You call in, and on fully packed Saturdays, full slates like we'll have next week and throughout the next couple months, our voicemail gets lit up by people, especially at 3, 4 in the morning, a little intoxicated, maybe a lot of intoxicated, which you'll hear coming up here. And you can yell, scream, bitch, cry, give us credit. So voicemails are short this week, but let's start there, just since it's been a while since we listened to them. Bad beats, back doors, and miracle covers. However you're feeling, we want to hear from you. You have reached the voicemail box of the Action Network Podcast. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. Let's check this week's messages. Colin, Stucky, this is Andy in Ann Arbor. Got the under at 47 and was sweating it on Miami, Florida. What a way to start the season. That fourth quarter was insane. Luckily, I had my friend Buffalo Trace helping me out. Hope the rest of the season goes as well as tonight did. Colin, Stucky, it's RJ from Jersey. What is going on? It's week zero, and we got grease footballs, turnovers on every possession. It's 1.30 in the morning, and I'm sweating this Hawaii plus 11. I might need to start digging myself out of a hole. It's about time we start learning the Aussie rule football, Brisbane Lions plus 18 and a half. This isn't what I wanted, but this is this is the route that we're going to have to take on Route Zero. Almost another pick by, by McDonald here. I don't understand what's going on. This is ridiculous. Hey, guys. It's Nash from Colorado. Stuck. Way to start Degenerate Nation off right with a big victory in FCS to know with Villanova. Plus seven was too easy. Felipe Franks, are you having a fucking aneurysm? What the fuck is wrong with you? Yo, Colin. It's Tony from Belmar, New Jersey. Took Arizona. I'm walking out of DJ's. I just checked the score on the ESPN app. Arizona's losing. How are they going to lay the 11 and a half lumber? What a start to the year, you fraud. <laughs> so it took exactly two games for Collins yeah. to call it a fraud on the voicemail. Uh, thoughts? I had it at one and a half. So those of you that had the over on calling to being a fraud, uh, you can cash your tickets. Yeah, I mean, look, those two games were wild. You know, I always said the first game of the year, and this means nothing, but it's just a psychological thing. You you want to win it, right? And your first bet, it's kind of like the first question of a test. And I, I told people this all the time. Like when you get that first question of a test right, 
you're like, all right, let's go. I got this. I'm good. And then if the first question of the test is like something you've never heard of, you are your mind goes, fuck, I am fucked. Right. So uh, it was nice to hit the first bet of the year. It happens where you don't. But to lose it in the way that that game was headed, the Florida Miami game would mm-hmm. have been traumatic. And you know, there was obviously a lot of fluke plays. The game kind of went according to how I expected, you know, and there was the fake fake punt. There was a, some fumble luck, and there were some points in the first quarter. But then in the in the fourth, you know, finally I'm like, all right, we're good. And there was the f- awful Felipe Franks pick. And then a fourth and 34. I would have been screaming that. What is this, Freddie Mitchell? Fred X? The, whatever that fourth, fourth and forever was against the Packers, I think. Fourth and 34, there was just a hard flag. The refs were awful. Uh, eventually, Florida held on. Miami looked unprepared, underprepared. Close game, Miami covers, under hits. You hit the second half over before we get to Arizona, Hawaii. What are your thoughts there? Uh, well, first off, I, I'm going to pat us on the back because I think we called it perfectly. We said under on the 49 and a half. It got to 49. Once the market adjusted to 48, 47, 46, I told it, you know, we, we said on the podcast, wait until I see a 45. I tweeted it out. I said, I'm looking for a 45, a 44 and a half before I'll consider any kind of over whatsoever. Otherwise, we're going to go in game. We did go in game. You can always check the action app to see. Uh, I was sitting at Westgate. They were at 22 and a half. A lot of other books were 23, but the second half over was no problem whatsoever. And I think the difference in the game is something that you and I talked about on the podcast. One of these offensive coordinators was well-prepared. One of these offensive coordinators pulled through and one of them knows how to coach. And that's the difference between Dan Mullen and, and, and Enos. And I'm going to tell you, one team didn't know what to do in pressure situations. Jaron Williams, I thought, was limited. They only let him throw out into the flats. The one time that he was able to throw over the middle, he threaded the needle. But wide receivers couldn't catch the ball. I think Jaron Williams is an excellent quarterback. Uh, you made statements on our preseason pods about Miami with ACC, about how they could win from here on out. I love Jaron Williams. I think he's a, a decent quarterback. I could see why they picked him over Tate Martell and Nikosi Perry because it is night and day about ball protection. But, I mean, you turn over to Florida, and, and this is Dan Mullen working his magic four for four on fourth downs. I mean, he had a game plan. He was more prepared. He was more confident in his offense. You know, it was, it was tough for both offensive lines. I think if you look at it like Miami, uh, they had 48 dropbacks and they had 18 pressures. Their left tackle was the one that the Zion kid, I think he's the one that got the most uh, marks up against him. I think I was reading on PFF to give them some credit, but they were, were tracking uh, him and him and his uh, pressures and he didn't do so well, but their left guard didn't allow anybody to get past him. So Miami's offensive line is something to watch. Felipe Franks, on the other hand, you remember when he first came up under a different head coach for Florida, he looked night and day different. It's just a different quarterback. He wasn't efficient. And, and, and I just think that Mullen is the ultimate quarterback whisperer. And the fact that he has confidence in this team with such a young offensive line to go four for four on fourth down was the difference in the game. Uh, actually, so I want to end by saying with this game. I didn't move Florida's power rating. They are what we predicted. Nine-win team. I made them 8.9. I didn't adjust them whatsoever. I actually bumped Miami up a point. Uh, I had this game at eight. Tell them I love Jaron Williams. I love Miami. Not saying they're beating Clemson or anything, but, I mean, they, they're going to be able to play through the ACC. Yeah, I mean, one of the things to note, though, is with Franks, look, bad throws happen. Every quarterback makes one. But And Miami has a great front, seven great linebackers. They get pressure as well as anyone in the country. But Franks made that throw, which almost cost him the game. Mm -hmm. And maybe he's under a little more pressure this year. 
with that offensive line. Now, it should get better over time, but it's just something I thought was worth mentioning. Um, but speaking of they are who I thought they were. They are who we thought they were. I had a field day on Twitter late night with Arizona, and especially on that field goal. That's when I was like, college football is back. Would they have like four penalties in a row? I felt like I was watching the Steelers and Mike Tomlin. There was like a false start, a delay a game, a delay a game. You saw some similar stuff with Miami too. Uh, but then all of a sudden there was this huge field goal from your boy who missed an extra point for you last uh, year. I did. And then he bombed it. Bombed it every time. Every yeah, time he Every it. single time. And uh, But Hawaii went on for the third straight year to pull off an upset in its opener. Story of the game was, I mean, there was bad defense, but the quarterbacks – you know, I mean, Khalil Tate, he still can't read his safety. That mm-hmm. that pick at the end of the game was killer, especially for anyone with an Arizona ticket, because if you score a touchdown there, you get a stop, you can get one more to get a cover. Um, but McDonald had four touchdowns and four picks. Hawaii hangs on. One of the things I said on Twitter, and I'm curious to get your thoughts, and I'll get your thoughts on you being a fraud for one game, which is mm-hmm. just it's week one. But I said, who else is ready in – Two weeks from now to stomach Oregon State with me at Hawaii before Hawaii goes to Washington. <laughs> oh, God. Sandwiches. 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 Sandwich City. But uh, we'll we'll get to that one in a couple weeks. Your thoughts on Arizona-Hawaii and your adjustments after that game? Yeah, adjustments were big, so I'll save that for last. Uh, Arizona, which dumpster fire should I start with first? Let's start with Hawaii. I had them, I think, 25-1 to 1 to win the Mountain West. I have no confidence in that whatsoever. Jeffy Cordero for Heisman. You ain't buying it? He might ruin your Trevor Lawrence ticket. I've never seen two head coaches look more unprepared. They look tired. Listen, I'm a father. I have two kids. Uh, you know, I mean, they're, they've grown up now, but they were back-to-back kids. And Sumlin looked like he had been on a nine, 10 day vacation. He was on that double flight red eye trip from like Seattle to New York to get his kids back. That guy looked the most unprepared I've ever seen in my life. It was horribly called game. Penalties were just, you know, when Brett McMurphy, friend of the pod, Brett McMurphy, you know, tweeted out. The bus is going to be 45 minutes late for Arizona. Should have known right then and there that shit on the island was happening and this was going to be a really bad game to have any kind of investment in. This is a very poorly coached team. They returned everybody on defense. Both teams did. Both defenses were absolutely terrible. Uh, 10.6 yards per play, both teams. Hawaii has six turnovers and wins. Think about this as a gambler. You're going to go up to the window and an 11-point dog – that has six turnovers is going to win the game by a touchdown. That is amazing. That's how bad and that's how trash is game one. Let's talk about adjustments. Arizona came down five points. If you go to the action network rankings, I, I said, we are going to adjust people fast. Arizona's defense is no better than they were a year ago. Just because they're older doesn't mean that they got any better. They're not any more efficient. And they were very poorly coached. Penalties were out of control. I thought Khalil Tate looked he put up good stats. They put up the numbers, but he looked uninterested. He didn't look like he cared. I saw him run out of bounds four to six yards behind the line of scrimmage instead of flicking the ball and saving some yards. He gets tackled at the one yard line. He was the first person in the tunnel walking off the field like he didn't care. Arizona got a five and a half point adjustment. That just doesn't happen. They got a five and a half point adjustment down. Hawaii only got a half point adjustment up. Stuck is right. We're going to Oregon State here in a couple of weeks. I'm not impressed by it. Hey, you would have made the number right around 10 like me. Yeah, and then the number comes down to 10. I mean, I adjusted to what the market was. So, you know, but no one expected Arizona to be 
this bad. And no one expected Cole McDonald to be this bad. And we all thought Khalil Tate would have probably been at least a little bit more or cared a little bit more because there was a lot of sloppiness as far as running out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage. It just didn't look like he gave a shit. It didn't look like someone was prepared and Khalil Tate didn't give a shit. I think I said Chevy Cordero, which was which is the backup quarterback who came in last year and I think cost me some money on one of the numbers I had when he came in against UNLV, I think. Uh, I think I had some UNLV money line and he was like oh, ridiculous. But I met Cedric Bird, who was the receiver hey, who had 14 catches, the redshirt freshman, 14 catches for 224 yards. Uh, so I would uh, maybe start sweating that. Trevor Lawrence for Heisman future if he's going to do that every week. But if, you, if, he, if he does that every week, 14 catches and four touchdowns every single week, he'll win the Heisman. But it's not happening. Uh, but that, <laughs> yeah, then at the very end of the game, Khalil Tate comes up one short reminiscent of the Rams-Titans Super Bowl when I believe Kevin Dyson came up one yard short in 1999, Super Bowl 34. So anyway, that was the FBS recap. We'll have much more on all the games on Saturday and this upcoming episode later in the week that we record on Thursday nights that'll come out on Fridays. I will mention the two FCS games, you know, just because we talked about them last week. Villanova trucked Colgate. Their transfer quarterback was awesome. Colgate obviously took a step back and Villanova's secondary is really good. They were picked to finish and they think ninth or 10th in the CAA. That ain't happening. That team uh, is a potential playoff team and, and Youngstown just rolled Sanford. I probably should have got involved there. I was a little afraid of the heat, and but whatever. So what we'll more on the FCS, any intriguing FCS games that are upcoming on Saturday later in the week. But let's get to the Thursday night games. There's six FBS versus FBS matchups. We'll start with one that I'm just going to say, Colin, you take because you are responsible this year for Texas State. They are yeah. at Texas A&M. Uh, Texas A&M was laying about 33, the 33, 33 and a half point favorites right now. It's funny. I was talking with you last week via text saying, well, someone just fucking put out a 35 for me, like at a rep- reputable shop. And it was, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden the lumber started coming down and I think it hit 30 and a half for like a second. So I realized it's never going to hit 35. My guess that there's a better shot of going to 31 than it does the 35 based on the resistance. So I bought it, never got my 35. And really, it's on the recommendation of you. I will note that Texas A&M, who is hosting Texas State, has Clemson on deck. So obviously, that's a factor. If they're up big, you know they're going to pull their starters maybe quicker than usual. Maybe not going to show as much as they normally would. That's something to note because Saturday, September 7th, by the way, Texas A&M, Clemson, that's a hell of a game. Uh, so thoughts on Texas State and Texas A&M. You make it Texas A&M minus 20 and a half. So value here on the bobs, right? Yeah, value on the bobs. Uh, twenty eight and a half is the number that I make it, but uh, as as we could tell with Arizona, I will adjust quickly if not. But all the indications are this is a great spot for Texas Texas State with the new head coach Jake Spavadol. Uh, they have named Tyler Vitt as the starter. He was the hot freshman that came in for Willie Jones last year down in San Marcos. He we're back on Vitt now. No Gresh. We're back on Vitt. No Gresh. Gresh Jensen. He completed the the last scrimmage with the first team. Tyler Vitt was so impressive with the second team. 
that he was named as the starting uh, a quarterback for this Texas A&M game. And as Spavadol put it, I mean, even though that Gresh Jensen uh, came from Montana and their offensive coordinator, uh, Stitt, is from Montana, and there's a huge connection there, they're still t- taking Tyler Vitt, who was the, the true freshman last year, because he has the ability to show more explosive plays, was the exact quote that we got out of uh, Texas State down there last week. So I think what we can expect is that, you know, the Bobcats are going to have the ability to create bigger plays with Vit. Uh, if he turns the ball over, which all indications are he didn't turn the ball over at, through camp at all, and he didn't last year when we watched him too. He was money. When we could predict the games where uh, the Willie Jones kid was not playing and Tyler Vitt was, Texas State would at least cover some spreads for us down there. That's how we got turned on to them last year. But, you know, any turnovers, we'll probably see Gresh Jensen come in. Uh, Spavadol has Texas A&M ties. He was the offensive coordinator in 2013 through 2015. Uh, and he had the emphasis on the quarterbacks. He was in charge of all the quarterbacks there at the time, which they had a couple of explosive ones uh, come through the program. Uh, my question is, does Jimbo even care about this game? I mean, we talked at length about Texas State. Everything they return, the returning production is just absolutely fabulous. We've talked about it in the SEC preview about how Texas A&M had problems with explosive plays last year. Uh, they weren't able to contain them. I, teams just tore them up as far as big yardage uh, is concerned. My question is, does Jimbo even care about this game against an in-state coach that has ties to Texas A&M? Clemson is on deck. Uh, the game screams backdoor cover to me. It absolutely screams backdoor cover. Texas State is not going to give up in this game whatsoever. They don't have a look ahead. Spavadol, this game means something to Spavadol. It means nothing to Jimbo, and it means nothing to the Texas A&M players whatsoever. So I would expect Texas State to cover this. Now, as far as the market, all right, so let, let's talk about the number. Colin makes it 28.5. If you look on the action app, I've got it 35.5, and, and that's because I was out here in Vegas, and I hopped into South Point, and they were one of the first ones to have college football, and I was able to get a nickel down on Texas State at 35 and a half. Do I suggest it at 35? Yeah. 34? Yeah. It's like I told Stuck, him and I were texting a couple weeks ago. I don't think it's coming back to 35. I mean, 34 and a half, 34, it's about the best we're going to do. We saw market resistance. We saw it get hit so hard last week that it came down to 30 and a half. That's finally when we got the pop back up in the market. So I expect more of that this week between now and Thursday night. I expect it to go down to 31 to get a big boost on the Texas A&M side with money. Maybe it settles between 32 and 33. Maybe you're able to find a shop that'll give you 34 on Texas State. But I expect every time it gets down to 31, you're going to see a pop on Texas A&M. So plan accordingly. I think Texas State is the side. I think they're good down to four touchdowns. This isn't a game that Jimbo needs. He doesn't need to blow them out. This is a big game to Spavadol and to the new roster. And, and you know what? We have an abundance of decent quarterbacks at Texas State. All eyes on this game Thursday night, and I'm looking forward to the Bobs covering. Yeah, Vit under center, Stitt calling the plays. Let's hope the bet doesn't turn to shit. By the way, <laughs> I, I saw your girl like tweeted at me something about you, and I didn't know she had a Twitter, but I could infer from the tweet that, okay, this must be Colin's girlfriend. So then I looked at her Twitter profile, and the first thing I saw was it just made my first football bet not good. Did you make her as her first football bet, bet Arizona? She took a trip through Crystals uh, on a shopping trip here between Aria and Cosmo, and uh, she tried to take uh, an Arizona wager and go in and pay for a couple things, and that just didn't pay out. So yeah, uh, as much as the Jersey and the Lumba guy wants to call me a fraud, I'm pulling. I'm, I mean, in my own daily personal, life, I woke up in hell this morning. Try try losing a bet for family and loved ones. It's not fun. It's it's not fun whatsoever. How are they gonna lay the Lumba? Yeah, but it's one bet. There'll be many more to come. I'll certainly get my share of shit. Uh, on the voicemails for bad calls because we all have them. So let's go Bob's on Thursday. And uh, if it goes to shit, at least I'll be able to call the voicemail and call you a fraud. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So let's move on to 
a game, another game that just screw. If you're looking at Collins' numbers and then the numbers in the market, there's a couple that just say, "Hello, look at me. I'm my number mm-hmm. is extremely off." There's a huge discrepancy from the market. Since he's minus a three point favorite right now, over under fifty nine and a half, taking on UCLA. This is a rematch from Week One last year when Cincinnati pulled off an upset uh, at UCLA. They won 26-17. Multiple quarterbacks played for each team. Uh, so for Cincinnati, their starter, Hayden Moore, he got hurt. He went one for two, and then he got hurt, and then Desmond Ritter, freshman, came in. He only threw for 100 yards. He was 13-24, and but he's a freshman. Came in on the road. Didn't mess up anything. Michael Warren ran wild. You know, Cincinnati won, and then Ritter was the quarterback the rest of the year. Then UCLA, Wilton Spate, the transfer from Michigan, he got benched. And then Dorian Thompson-Robinson came in, who's the UCLA's quarterback this year. He wasn't that effective either. Now the game is in Cincy. The rematch, UCLA's a three-point dog. You make this UCLA minus five. Mm-hmm. What do you got to say about this one? Yeah, I mean, this is another one of those games. Like, I was I was off by a number, like a touchdown off by with Arizona. And so, you know, you have to move on that. But, I mean, there is a wide discrepancy about some of the – some of the best power rating systems out there. If you like SP Plus, and I think I, I'm the, I could say and, and instead of SP Plus, I think I could say SP Plus. But uh, if you like them, they've got Cincinnati minus six and a half. UCLA took some serious high marks and offseason adjustments. There's, they they checked the box on every single level as far as offseason adjustments with, with Chip Kelly out there. And we're going to see if it pays off here. But this game last year, I mean, the total is set at 55 here. Last season's opener saw a total of 43 points. Just 610 combined yards. And UCLA's defense has seen Desmond Ritter before he came in. He went 13 from 24, had 100, only 100 yards, no TDs, no INTs. Uh, you know, I, I don't think since he's got any look ahead up to Ohio State, I think Fickle does emotionally <laughs> probably to, to the following week against Ohio State. I just think this is going to be very vanilla. I think it's going to be defensive. Uh, I don't think UCLA has really found their identity on offense first. Uh, this is a game because I'm so far off of what the current number is. I mean, I think I'm a touchdown off what the current number is out there in the market. Uh, and the current number is actually four or five, six points off of what S&P Plus is, as while FPI has this as a pick. The rate, We are also out of whack on Cincinnati. So like Cincinnati overachieved last year. Uh, their second-order win totals dictates so they got a little bit lucky with their numbers. UCLA, on the other hand, Shows up in some games, not some of the other. We don't know how strong they're going to be this year. Um, so I, I think this is a complete stay away. Just two complete wild cards. Uh, I have no clue. Uh, but I'll be ready to adjust on the, on the fly with the, with the power rating. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you I'm staying away as well. But just to show you how far the perception in the market has come on these two teams in exactly one year, right? Cincinnati was a two-touchdown dog at UCLA last year. So obviously there's home field and every home field could be different, but just if you apply the generic three points to each uh-huh. and you know, you take six points away from minus 14 for the switch back to Cincinnati would imply that UCLA is minus eight, but I've been, you know, that's closer to what you have than the minus three. Obviously Cincinnati proved to be better than people thought, thought it was, but that's just pretty fascinating to see that flip Two touchdown underdog at UCLA. And now to start off this year, they're a uh, home favorite. But, yeah, I'm, I'm staying away with you. And the, the next game, number one team in the nation, Clemson, uh, <laughs> they are 36, 36-and-a-half-point favorites over Georgia Tech, starting off with a conference game here, over under 59, 59-and-a-half. 59 uh, you make this 32-and-a-half. Mm-hmm. I hope you're not betting Georgia Tech. But if you are, good luck because I cannot back this team. This could get ugly. Uh, I'm going to have a write-up for this game. I'm thinking as of now I'm going to play this under. Now you're going to have to hold your nose because – 
yeah, Georgia Tech is going to be ugly. They're, I mean, they're they're going from an option to a spread. Now, the reason why I think that can work, Jeff Collins, new coach, he can recruit, and he's always been a great recruiter, and that's what you'll need to do because Georgia Tech, their triple option has enabled them to compete in the ACC with less inferior talent, right? Three stars um, as their main players on offense, and you know if they're going to run a spread, they're going to have to get better talent and better recruiting, and he's doing that already. The recruiting class was excellent in some of their commits. So I think it can work. I think that, you know, in order for that team to take the next step, it'll, you know, it has to be a more modern offense, but there's going to be some growing pains in the interim there. I mean, everyone they recruited, number one, you know, isn't a four and five star that's there and they were all there to run the triple option. So who are the receivers going to be? They've never even had a tight end. They do have a tight end from UConn <laughs> should help, but the offensive line will have completely different lineups and splits and everything. So the defense also lost a ton. But the thing you worry about is obviously, you know, if you look at Clemson the last couple of years and their dominant defense, and if you think that Georgia Tech, like I do, is going to struggle immensely, especially implementing this brand new offense against the number one team of the nation on the road. It's not ideal. So the thing you worry about is just Georgia Tech getting the ball at the 20 and punting it. And for, and Clemson is starting at the 50 every time. Uh-huh. And then they're just going to score at will with Trevor Lawrence against, you know, a defense that lost a ton. New scheme. Now, Jeff Collins, here's why some of the reasons I like the under. Collins, great defensive coach, known for his defense. I think the defense should improve there just because of that. The, their offense, which is going to struggle, I think it's going to go really conservative with this new system, even though they want to spread it out. I still think they're going to try to run a ton. And Clemson's defensive line isn't as dominant as it was last year. They obviously lost a ton of NFL talent. Now, they're at the point where they can reload, but you can still take a step back and not be as dominant. So I think Georgia Tech, if they run the ball in a little conservative they can get some yards, right? And, you know, so I don't think they're going to be necessarily punting from their 15 to 20 every time. And they also have a really good punter on their Ray Guy Award list, so he can boom the ball, which will help. And Clemson, Amari Rogers, he tore his ACL and he's out and he was their punt returner last year and a, a damn good one. So they are going to have someone else returning punts. And I had one practice, I think uh, Sweeney Stabo's kid was taking punt returns so that's not good if he's doing that but so my point is the Clemson's punt return unit doesn't have their best player and Georgia Tech is a pretty good punter so it at least help in the field position department where Clemson's not always starting at the 40 or 50 and then one of the things that I've heard from Dabo a couple times who by the way we just said this they have Texas A&M next week so do they want to show much do they just want to make sure that they win and stay healthy. But Dabba throughout camp has been saying, look, I am not happy with our second team. Like the difference, he's not happy with the depth. And he said it a number of times. So he's, you know, his point was that the, the, the difference between the first and second team is pretty significant. So what to me, what that means as a coach, and again, that should be a blowout with Texas A&M on deck. He probably wants to get a look at those guys. Who's going to be, because depth is important in college football. Uh-huh. He wants to get a look at, okay, if someone goes down, who, who am I going to trust as my next you know, my third running back, who my, you know, an offensive lineman who I need. So he might want to get a look uh, this early in the season at some of these guys and pull everyone. Uh, so I think that could help the under as well. So 59 and a half, it might not be pretty with uh, Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. It might have to sweat like we did on Saturday, but I think I'm leaning towards the under, but I'll write this one up. So keep an eye out on the action app at Action Network. What are you seeing here? Yeah, I think, I think you're on to a lead because I had the same thoughts. Oh, by the way, before I go on, Stuck said one of the most outrageous things I have ever heard in three years of podcasting. 
a transfer tight end from UConn will help. I've never heard that before in my entire life. Just had to get that out of the way. Well, this is the um, team uh, that never had a, a tight end for like years. Never I know, one. but a tight end. Anyone anyway, would have helped the tight UConn. end if I played tight end somewhere. The tight end from UConn is going to help. No, it's just crazy that UConn is helping the college football world. Uh, so I think you're, I think you're on to uh, something with the under. By the way, when this game kicks off and when it starts, uh, let's all get together. Trevor Lawrence Nation. This is the Heisman campaign. This is everything that we've been waiting for. Uh, if they if the offense starts getting the ball at the 50-yard line, that's actually going to upset me a little bit because it's going to kill in the total yards that he's going to have at the end of the season. I would prefer Clemson to start the ball at the 15 or the 20 so that we get those juicy yards with Amari Rogers and, and, and T and, and Ross and all, all that other good stuff. But I think you're on the right track with the under. I feel like Clemson needs to get the Bama treatment. And what I say by that is, is last year's Bama came out and whipped everybody. I mean, they were covering the full game spread in the first half. Vegas finally caught on for a 28-point spread. They were setting 21 and a half, you know, the 21-point first halves. Uh, I think Clemson might get a lot of the same treatment this year. I think Clemson in the first half, uh, Dabo is going to realize that, you know, he's got to get the Cadillac. He's got to fire up the engine. He's got to let it roll down the street a little bit. And then in the second half, he can pull his toy back and put it back in the garage. Now, his toy, his baby, is the offense. Defense is a little bit of a, another question. Brett Venables doesn't really know what he has in some spots on the defense. They're going to play a full game. Everything that I'm reading is, is they're trying to fill spots. It's still competitive, and these are a bunch of hosses. I mean, they have a ton of blue trip recruiting on the defense, and everybody's going to be vying to be a starter and to get playing time. I don't think the defense is going to let up. So what I expect is for Clemson to get out big in the first half, the total I've got set at 63, so I don't think there's any value in the current number right now. But a second half under, only because the Clemson defense is still going to be competing all the way. So, you know, with Texas A&M on deck, you got to ask, when is Dabo going to pull it back? Let me get my offensive starters out. I'm still going to play a whole bunch of defense because I figure out what I've got over there. The under is taking a whole bunch of money right now. Uh, there's plenty of players on defense that have something to prove. I think the first team D is going to be in there way longer than the first team offense, and that might be a trend for the first three or four weeks. So I think... The Bama treatment from 2018 is the way we play Clemson for the first few weeks. Yeah, good, solid analysis there. And like I said, I'll have something written up on it, but um, I think that is a good point about their defensive playing throughout. I wouldn't be shocked if Georgia Tech doesn't score, by the way. I think their offense will struggle that much early on. Now, maybe they'll have some new wrinkles. that because So Clemson has no tape on them, which is the one yeah. advantage that Georgia Tech has, right? Like Georgia Tech is a triple option team forever. And now they're a spread, but like, they don't have anything. What, what kind of spread is there going to be? Somebody? So they have a lot of guys. They have a lot of quarterbacks that can run. So what wrinkles are they going to have? That's the one wild card here. So with the second half under, you even benefit from that as well. You know, Clemson has now seen what Georgia Tech is going to try and do. They're probably going to throw out any of their, you know, they're playing the number one team in the nation. So any of their trick plays that they love, they're probably going to do that in the first couple drives to try and give them a shot. Uh, you know, some momentum on the sidelines, you know, they're not going to wait till the second half to do that. So we'll see. Um, all right. And then one of the other games that I'm looking forward to, uh, which we won't spend much time on, we're going to spend a lot of time on both these teams who were high on Florida International at Tulane. <clears throat> Tulane's two point favorite. I think they were a three point favorite over under 57 and a half. You make this two. Uh, I make this three. Uh, so it's stay away. And we're going to learn a lot about both these teams who, you know, I have money on in some form or fashion. Actually, I have both of them to win their conference in the futures market. Um, I stayed away from the two-lane win total. So I actually would 
I mean, I really don't care who wins this game, to be honest. I actually have some small on Florida International over, so I would prefer Florida International wins. But we're going to learn a lot about these teams. Some we already know. I think we we think these are going to be two teams that we want to back early in the season. But this one line looks spot on. Game should be really competitive and staying away. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I got Tulane minus two. The numbers at two uh, at three. I mean, maybe there's some value in FIU. Uh, the total is exactly where it should be. Uh, you know, there's no play on either side for me. Stuck and I love both of these teams. We love FIU. We love Tulane. We love Tulane because they've always been an explosive offense and they've really had problems with efficiency, but now they're throwing the offense out. Uh, they've changed offensive coordinators. They're going hall ball. Uh, uh, you know, Willie Fritz is is kind of chucking the whole diamond triple option, the the – the, the, the RPO they were running in space there and they're going to let, uh, you know, kind of have a new offensive scheme, but they're going to be faster is what they want to do. That's, that was the goal. They, they want to, they want to run a, a more of a tempo uh, than what they were before, which was already kind of uh, a little frenetic. So uh, at the same time, FIU, we've talked about them at length in the preseason. They were one of the top teams in the nation in explosive plays on offense and Butch Davis had a defense that was one of the best in the nation at limiting explosive plays. So this is a really interesting – I mean, there may be more tweets on the FIU Tulane game. I mean, I may have double as many tweets on this game uh, than I have about Clemson because, I mean, th- I love FIU. This is going to be a huge fact-finding, uh, especially with James Morgan coming back. He didn't play in the bowl game. Uh, you know, if this is a pick and pull and ultimately you have to pick something on Thursday night, I like FIU in this spot, but it's going to be a pass for me. Yep, we completely agree there. We'll look forward to watching it, not wagering it. Uh, another game here that looks interesting and the dog to me looks tempting, Kent State uh, at Arizona State. Arizona State's a 25-point favorite over under 62. We've talked about Kent before. We think they're going to be improved. They like to go fast. They're very high tempo uh, at Arizona State, which lost a ton on offense. Um, they do have one of the best backs in the country who they're going to rely on, and it's going to be hot. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, we've got another freshman quarterback going in here for Arizona State. But, you know, for Kent, let's talk about the number. Right now it's 25. It's stuck on our record. It's at 25. I think, uh, you know, at 27, I'll start considering Kent. I make this Arizona State minus 23 and a half. I make it a total of 52. I think the total at 62 is way too high. And I know based upon Kent's pace last year, they like to – you know, they like to push it up tempo, uh, trying to go as fast as they can. But, hey, this game's happening down in Tempe. It's going to be 107 degrees, 107 degrees at kickoff. Do you know what the temperature was today in Kent, Ohio, where the players are practicing? Today, it was 66 degrees. These kids are flying from 66 degrees down to Tempe, Arizona, to play in 107-degree heat. And you think, to my, you think, oh, they'll be prepared. They're okay. They're 18, 19, 20 years old. They will be conditioned to do that. Michigan State flew down in this exact same situation last year, played in 107-degree heat. How many points were scored in the first half between the two teams? Three. That's it. Just three. So the total's on the rise. I mean, it's actually it's going higher. Uh, apparently, temperature's not going to be a problem. I don't know if the game's being played in the Dome. But, I mean, I'll take the under. I think it's a 63. There's going to be an underplay come through the app. Uh, I think it should be much lower. I think temperature is a factor, especially in the first half or just the full game, the cramps and everything. Arizona State's running a true freshman out there, quarterback. Uh, the heat that's coming down on the MAC roster defensively and offensively, I don't care what their pace is. I don't care what the math says. 107 is something to be dealt with. And we saw it in Michigan State last year. So I'm looking at the under here. Kent is something I want to consider if we get some steam up to 27 or if we feel greedy and maybe it'll get 28. I doubt it. But at 27, we got to start considering Kent. Yeah, I mean, last year, Arizona State was the only team in the country with a 3,000-yard passer, a 1,000-yard receiver, and a back that ran for over 1,500 yards. 
Now, Benjamin's back in the backfield, but Wilkins, Manny Wilkins has gone a quarterback, and Nikhil Harry, obviously, was drafted by the Patriots, has gone. And you know Herm Edwards and how he wants to play, and especially with Wilkins and Harry, he's going to pound the rock, and he's going to rely yeah. on Benjamin, who's one of the best backs in the country. They're going to run it a ton, which will help the under. They're 3-3-5 defense, which Kent State's not too familiar with, I think could slow Kent down. So I would agree with that. I think the look, especially as it keeps rising, the look is probably at the under. Uh, I actually have a slight lead to Kent with questions about Arizona state. Who's it's a, there's a lot of questions at quarterback. It's going to, I'm going to, you know, so part of me wants to say I should just stay away and see how this kid plays. Um, But part of me says they might be a little overrated in the market because I think there's a thing about Herm where he's just, he doesn't care what the outcome is as long as he gets his true freshman experience. I think he's proven that before he doesn't care what the game outcome is. I mean, he got lucky. I mean, I don't say lucky. They won the game, but he would trade experience with true freshmen over the result of a game. I, I just I feel that's the way Herm coaches. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, well, much more content throughout the week, by the way, on these games. If you don't have the action app already, what are you doing? Um, and uh, <laughs> you can always check out actionnetwork.com. Uh, the last game that we'll cover Utah at BYU, a game with national title implications. So obviously, Georgia Tech and Clemson. And Texas State and Texas A&M have national title implications because if either of those teams lose, which isn't happening, it would change the national title picture. But this is a realistic game that could impact the national title. Now, BYU, if they win out, they would be they should be considered for the playoff, right? Absolutely. Um, but so BYU fans, you, at least you have a path to the national championship. You got to win out, but uh, in that ridiculous schedule, Utah. Some people say. They need to win out as well, or maybe one loss and win the Pac-12. So if they have, if Utah loses this game, I think they need to win out to get to the playoff. Yeah, because the two-loss Utah team, even if the one loss is early in the year, Ohio State did that before with against Vatech at home. But if Utah loses this game, they have to win out. So uh, there's definitely some, you know, outside national title implications. The line is five. BYU is catching five. You make it eight over under. 48. We've talked about Utah at length. We've talked about BYU as well. We like both of these teams. Uh, I want no part of this game. Should be a great football game. What are you seeing? You know, first off, this was the game that gave me pause on Utah making the playoff, Utah winning the national title, which I think I saw. We saw Lee Corso put Utah in the national title game against Alabama the other day. I was like, oh boy, I think everybody's caught on now to what we were saying about Utah. I mean, I loved him as Pac 12. Right. I love him at 10 to 1 futures for the Pac 12. That didn't include this game. I mean, there is there was a reason why I was a little shy on the playoff implications, and it was because of this game. I've seen a lot of my Twitter timeline say, How is how is Utah only favored by five over BYU? It's a trap. The books are setting a trap. They're not setting a trap. These teams just played on November 24th. BYU outgained Utah 357 yards of 296. They Top had 20 to nothing at the half. 20 point lead. BYU was dominating. You know, 21 I mean, nothing I mean, fourth quarter for Utah in the Holy it, War last year. Unbelievable. And I mean, this is a rivalry game. It's being played at BYU. We love both these teams. Both of them have excellent quarterback play. Both of them have excellent trench play. Uh, I mean, this is – and by the way, for anybody that doesn't know, BYU, number one in the nation in limiting opponent explosiveness. Nobody was better at stopping explosive plays 
than BYU. This game is what gave me ultimate pause. So let's talk about Utah for a second here because, you know, we're, we're out of the preseason stuff and trying to predict long-term shit and, and futures and all that. Utah didn't score in the first half of that game last year, similar to Northern Illinois. They didn't score in the first half of that game either. They let Weber get up in the first quarter, I think 10 to nothing in a game last year. You know, they have a history of starting slow in these games. Now they have a new offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig comes in. I know he was at Utah before, but these players don't know him. So it is kind of a new marriage between coordinator and players. Uh, you know, he has high praise from Whittingham. We all think that he's great. But like we said, this is Huntley's first game under center with a new offensive coordinator. You know, I don't think BYU is ever going to get to plus seven. I know in the offseason I saw this at six. There was one shot that had it at six and a half. I would love to have this game at BYU plus seven. I'm not sure I'm going to play it live. I think Utah minus three and BYU plus seven is the nuts if you want to play it live. But as far as futures for taking BYU over, which I suggested, as far as taking Utah to win the Pac-12 or in a Utah, uh, you know, I think what you're ultimately hoping for is that both teams live up. Uh, Zach Wilson and Huntley stay healthy through this game. You know, plenty of points. I think will come later rather than early in the game. So my eye is on a first half under uh, 24 and 24 and a half. I think if you can get that, you want to do that. It's at 48 right now. So you may be able to get 24. And if you see 24 and a half, I would take the under in this game. I think you're going to be feeling each other out early. Uh, It's going to be a heavyweight battle. The trenches are going to be all over each other. I think a BYU money line in the first half may have a lot of value considering how slow Utah has ran last year with this offense. And the fact they have a new offensive coordinator, you're probably going to be able to get BYU money line first half around plus 200, maybe plus 170. I think that has a lot of value considering the history between the two teams. So I think it's going to be a one possession victory. It could go either way. Uh, uh, It's a heavyweight battle and let's just hope everybody stays healthy because these are two play on teams for the rest of the year. I mean, also BYU and these teams are going to play each other again next year to start off the year. You know, this is the first game. They've had all summer to stew and watch the tape and hear about the loss, which these teams first played, by the way, in 1896. Utah won that game 12-4. Uh, I'm not sure what the spread was back in 1896. but And this is the 100th meeting, by the way, which is pretty cool. And Utah has won eight in a row since 2010. And last year, they came back from 20 down, the largest deficit overcome in the 99-game history uh, of this rivalry. So you know that BYU is going to come out with maybe a little more emotion than Utah. And look, this game is, I think, going to be a classic, and it should be close throughout. Uh, I'll look at BYU first half as well. You make some good points there. But keep your eye out for more on the Holy War and other games on Thursday. Colin, thanks for joining me. We'll be back here, like I said before, on Thursday night. Podcast out on Friday morning. We'll talk through the entire Saturday slate. It's our first full slate, so make sure you have your pencils sharpened, your pens full of ink, uh, because it's going to be a loaded episode. We'll also obviously have FCS or no. You know, I have to get some more FCS talk in there. But thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. You know the deal. Tell a friend. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you all later in the week. Cheers. Peace out. Peace out.